All right, well, Merry Christmas. All right, good to have you guys with us. I love this time of year, and probably you do too. I hope you do too. If you're not, then there's something wrong with you. But hey, so glad you're here, and so glad you're a part of this. We kick off today with this new series called Greater Than, and we couldn't be more excited that you've joined us to kick off this new series. I want to say welcome to all of you guys in this room. I want to say welcome to those that are watching online today. Thanks for joining this conversation. But specifically, I want to say welcome to those that are joining us for the first time. I know we got to meet many guests that are walking in the doors, and so listen, we get it. We get that it's not always, you know, it's not easy to walk into church, a new church for the first time, but you took the, you had the courage to walk through those doors, and so thank you. Like, it really means a lot to us, and so thanks for being here. If I could just let you know a couple quick things about who we are as a church, here's what I would tell you. Number one, we don't want anything from you, but we do want something for you. And one of the main things that we want for you is for you to understand that one of the best contributions that you can leave in this life is actually to leave a trace of God's love everywhere you go. One of the ways that we're learning to do that here at Trace, and I say learning because it truly is a daily experience and occurrence for us to learn what it looks like, and it's to do this. We need to learn what it looks like to lose sight of ourselves, right? We all get this. We're growing in this kind of narcissistic society that's telling us that life is all about you when Jesus is telling telling us it's all about him. And so we need to learn to lose sight of ourselves, and in the process of losing sight of ourselves, we can actually learn to put others Others' needs in front of our own, learning to leave a trace of God's love in their life. And so we're trying to make ourselves available. Many of us did this, uh, did this this past Friday. How many of you guys showed up to our foster care party? Yeah, raise your hands. That was incredible. Let me go ahead and give it up for you guys. We had about, yeah, we had about 100 volunteers show up to be a part of that and just love on. I think we had about 35 foster kids show up. And so, man, those are, the, those are the moments for me. Those are the experiences where I back up and I feel a deeper connection with God because I think we're doing, listen, I think we're doing the very thing that Jesus would be doing himself if he were walking on this earth. And so when we do those things, we feel a deeper connection with God. And so every time we throw one of those parties, I would encourage you to jump in and be a part of it. You might be surprised how it shapes and uh, forms your life. And so here's, uh, here's what I want to do to kick us off. Um, in this series. I want to set up this series before I get into my message today by looking at one symbol, and it's this symbol right here. And this symbol is something that we uh, used in our life growing up in math classes, and we use it to compare two numerical values, right? Greater than sign, less than sign, however you want to describe it. And we use this to describe two different numerical values, but I've personally found that this little symbol adds a lot more contribution to our lives than just comparing two numerical values. In other words, it helps me to communicate my frustrations and my feelings. Maybe you can identify with some of these, right? So the Broncos offense is greater than nothing. Kentucky basketball is greater than your team. Whoever your team is, it just is greater than. I see you, Carl. Um, My first cup of coffee, maybe you can identify with this, my first cup of coffee in the morning is greater than anything you have to say, right? I mean, we get this. Now, this may, this may cause some uh, hostility in the room. For those of you that are movie fans, Elf is greater than It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, man. Yeah. All right, let's just give it a shot. How many would say Elf? Okay. How many would say It's a Wonderful Life? All right. I think Elf won. I think Elf won. I like both of them. I'm just saying, hey, iPhone X is greater than your Android phone. Man, I'm, I'm just glad we don't sell tomatoes here. Um, <laughs> Here's what I'd say. Guys, we're a church about truth, and so you're going to hear that. Like, but we're also a church of grace, so I'll go ahead and say this. Android phone is greater than a rotary phone. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's have some fun. 
But what about this statement? What do we put there? What do we put there? I think many of us would want and hope to say that we could fill that blank in with the word everything. Right? Jesus is greater than everything. I mean, that's the Sunday school answer, right? But if we were to have a more honest dialogue, I think that we would probably say that Jesus is greater than almost everything. But let me take that a step further. Because if we weren't even just talking about what we think should fill that blank, but we were just observing how our lives look, in in other words, what do our lives say are in that blank, we'd probably be troubled by how many things that we actually put here. And this is what I want to talk about throughout this series. And so I wanted to set it up that way. But let's begin our conversation this morning with a little bit of Christmas spirit. So I'm going to sing a song that you'll most certainly be familiar with, and then I just want you to fill it in. You ready? It's the most wonderful time. You guys sound good. You guys sound good, right? And it should be, shouldn't it? I mean, this Advent season between now and Christmas Eve, it's supposed to be this great anticipation of the coming Messiah, the fact that we have a Savior that didn't just tell us what to do, but he actually came to us. And by coming to us, he, he spoke it, but he also modeled it. And he came to save us from our sin. And friends, all of us needed to be saved from our sin. It should be the most wonderful time of the year. But I think some of, some of us may know that song a little bit different. Maybe this is your version. It's the most weary time of the year there'll be school plays to go to with endless shopping i have to do will someone just hand me a beer it's the most weary time of the year maybe that's the yeah you're welcome yeah that's a i was waiting for that thanks for that charity applause maybe that's the version we know But how do we get from weariness to wonderful? Because that's where we should be. Guys, today what I want to talk about is this subject of weariness. And interesting enough, this is not what I plan to speak on today. This past week, I had a different subject in mind that I was going to be preaching on. I had prepared my sermon and was almost done with it. And then I came across a lyric. And it was this lyric that you'll be familiar with from O Holy Night. And it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices and I could not get this lyric out of my head and it kept I just kept singing it over and over and over again and so I decided you know what we're going to talk about weariness this week and so I began to write a new message and here's one of the things I want you to know about this morning in our time together is that this was one of those weeks where God was teaching me as I was writing a message and so what you're going to hear from today is not like these things that I've had figured out for a long time What you're going to hear today are things that God taught me this week. And I think you're going to pick up on some things that will be applicable to your life. And so my hope is that you'll kind of lean into this conversation and be a part of it. Because here's where I want to go, and this is what I've kept wrestling with. I kept asking myself this question. How can we rejoice in our weariness? I just kept asking myself, man, how do, we, how do we find a way to rejoice in our weariness? And I followed that question up with this question, where does our weariness come from? And so I think all of us would probably answer that question maybe a little bit different, even though we all probably have our own shapes and forms of weariness in our life. But if you just look at the headlines, 
right? Just watch news every single day and you'll see what dominates the headlines from the Me Too stories of sexual harassment and assault to the political venom that is being spewed on social media to the breakdown of the American family. You know what just happened? We just crossed a threshold where now the majority, over 50% of kids will be raised in a home where one parent is missing. There are plenty of reasons. We don't have to look too far to find weariness. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12 with you this morning. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer, and you're going to hear me refer to him or her as the writer because we actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, so you'll hear me use that language a lot. But we see the writer talk about our lives with the metaphor of a race. And I think it's going to be beneficial for all of us this morning to kind of look at that together and to think about the race, the race that we call our life, and the way that we're running that race, and how it could potentially be leading to some of the weirdness in our life. And maybe, hopefully, we can find out how to get back from weariness to wonderful. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. You can turn them open, you can turn them on. For those of you that are here today and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one, so feel free to stop by guest services before you leave today, and we will put one in your hands. Here's, what, here's how the writer begins. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, in other words, because there have been so many heroes of the faith that have gone before us, that have run this race ahead of us, because we have a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now here's what I want to do today. I want to read a little bit, and then I want to teach a little bit. So let me stop right there. One of the things that you'll hear from runners, people who run for a living, that do a lot of marathons, and they understand that, man, you need to invest in some good gear. Like, a pair of good socks will pay its way in gold, paid its weight in gold. And so invest in a good pair of socks, but invest in even a better pair of shoes, because when you get to mile 10 or 20 or 25, as you're getting close to the end, like, you're going to see the difference when you invest in good equipment. But they would also tell you, man, don't put on any unnecessary clothing because even just a few ounces you're going to feel the weight of as you get further into the race. Here's the parallel that I would make with this passage and what I just said to you. Friends, sometimes the race that we're running, the one that God has set before us, we actually stop running and we start running our own race and we start adding on additional weight to our lives because of unhealthy decisions, unwise decisions. I think we would all agree that we've been there, right? None of us are innocent of this. And one of the things that I do when I'm meeting with people and mentoring, specifically mentoring men, is I try to drill one concept into their brains and even into their hearts and drill it so deep that they remember it because here's what I would encourage you to do, all of us. If we will learn to pursue this race that we call life, and every time we get up to an obstacle where we're not sure what to do, and maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's something that we want to do, maybe it's something that they want us to do, maybe it's something that we think will be fun if we do it, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is it the wise thing to do? Not is it the best thing to do even, not, it, not is it the most fun thing to do, but is it the wise thing to do? Two things will happen. 
If you keep answering that question correctly, not only will you end up in a place of wisdom, which I think all of us would say we'd love to arrive, right? Don't we want to be a people of wisdom? Don't you want to be so full of wisdom because you've answered that question for so long that people will come to you to seek out wisdom from you? Yes, I think we would say the answer to that, yes. But here's another thing, man, don't miss this. When we keep answering that question correctly, wisdom will become a weapon towards weariness. If we keep filling ourselves with wisdom so that we're not adding on unnecessary weight. And the other part that I would say to that is we need to start investing in different things, right? This season has a way of revealing a lot about who we are because it should be the most wonderful time of year because of what Jesus has done. But are we getting kind of wrapped up in other things? Are we running a different race? Are we investing our time and attention and even resources into things that really will amount to nothing? Or are we investing our time and getting into God's word, learning more about who he is, investing in things happening at our church, like having a party for foster kids? Are we investing in our neighbors? Are we investing in our kids and hoping that they'll follow in the footsteps of Jesus and not just buying them whatever they want? One of the things that we do in our family at Christmas time to combat this idea of entitlement is we only allow our kids three gifts. And we allow them three gifts, three main gifts, because we remind them that that's what Jesus got on the day he was born. And it helps kind of combat this idea of entitlement. Friends, we gotta start investing in the right things again. Because when we don't, a lot of times we bring on unnecessary weight that leads to weariness. The other thing that I'd point out in that particular passage is how he says to run with endurance. Other verses, or I'm sorry, other translations would say and run with perseverance the race that God has set before us. See, unfortunately, when we stop running God's race and we start running our races, it's no longer about perseverance. It's about position. It's just about keeping up with everybody else. Man, what's everybody else doing? If I don't give my kid that gift, will they, will they you know, be upset when they go to school and learn they didn't get what everybody else was getting? Man, look at, look at the new car that my neighbor got. We start running a different race, and it's no, no longer about perseverance. It's about position, and it's even about pleasing others. And we stop running the race that God has for us, and we start running our, our own race, and it leads to weariness. It leads to us kind of joining what you may have heard called the rat race instead of God's race. If you've never heard this defined before, let me define it for you this morning. The rat race is defined as endless, self-defeating, the pointless, don't miss this, the pointless pursuit of something that leads to nothing. The pointless pursuit of something that ultimately leads to nothing. Friends, some of you this morning, I just want to encourage you to get out of the rat race. This consumeristic mentality that sucked you in and get back into God's race. Because if we live in that weariness too long, it can lead to waywardness. And so my encouragement to you this morning is get back into God's race. Now, how do we do that? He says this, the writer says this in the very next verse. He says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. There's a friend of mine in town named Jason who's also a pastor in this community, and he has a son named Miles. And Miles is in uh, middle school, and Miles is a great runner. And Miles decided that he wanted to give cross-country a shot. And so they didn't know that much about it, so they sat down together and they were kind of looking up, hey, what does it look like to become a cross-country cross country runner? And so they were looking at some things and then Miles started to see that, man, some of these paths, some of these trails go really far away into the woods and different places 
And he started to get this fear inside of him. It's like, man, it's possible that if I do this, I could get out there and get lost. His dad did everything he could to remedy this fear. And it's like, son, you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to get lost. There'll be markers and there'll be people at certain places to tell you to keep going this direction. But he, whatever, he, couldn't, he could not remedy this fear within his son, Miles. But he finally convinced Miles. He said, listen, let's go ahead and sign up for cross country. Let's go through the process. Because once you get one race behind you, I think it's going to help you to see that you really don't have anything to be afraid of. And so he did that, and they went through the whole process, and they got to their first meet, and uh, a sweet little baby. I got, I got four of them, so I, I get it. Uh, so they get there, and, and his dad, he leans down and says, Miles, Miles here's what you got to do. You got to pay attention to that bike, because there's going to be a bike out in front of you. And that bike out in front of you is actually going to stay on the path so that you can kind of see where to go. And so as long as you can kind of just see where that bike's going, you're going to be fine. And Miles just kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, just got to, you know, know where that bike's going. Well, a couple of hours later, the runners are circling back around and they're coming towards the finish line. And Jason, my friend, cannot believe, but his son is in the front of the race. And he's like, holy cow, and so he's running, and unfortunately, Miles actually trips close to the finish line and falls, and a runner passes him, but he gets up and finishes in second, which is still far better than his dad ever thought that he could do. And he came up to Miles, and he was like, Miles, like, I know you were a decent runner, but how in the world did you finish second, man? Good job, well done. How did you do that? And he said, Dad, you told me to look at that bike, and if I, as long as I saw that bike, I wasn't going to lose, so I chased that freaking bike as fast as I could go. <laughs> And I never let that thing out of my sight. Sometimes, fear is a good motivator. But most of the time, it just trips us up. And many of us are living in fear in our race. Sometimes it's a fear of failure. Not just the failures that we think we're going to have, but the f failures that we've already had. The times in our life where we've fallen on our face, Times in our life where we know that we kind of bowed out of the race, we got lost, did our own thing for a little while, and maybe you don't know if you're even worthy of getting back in the race. And so what happens is we disqualify ourselves. When Jesus said, whoa, 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 just keep your eyes on me. I've already qualified you. This is not about position. It's not about performance. It's about you keeping your eyes on me and following me, and if you'll do that, I'm going to run the race ahead of you. Just keep your eyes on me. Let me tell you something about your past, something I've learned. Friends, your past can be a great teacher, but it's no place to live. Let me say that one more time. Your past can be a great teacher, but it's no place to live. So whether you're still living in your failures or whether you're still living with your fears and I encourage you just to put your eyes on him, just like Miles did, man. Just fix your eyes on him and run after him with everything that you can. And you won't get off the path. You won't get lost. And the closer you can get to him by investing in the right things, the closer you can get to him, you'll be reminded that your failures, man, they've been forgiven. Your fear, he's trying to replace with courage. And so just run the race that he has set. Don't get off on your own path and run your own race. Run the race that he has set for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and don't let him out of your sight. That's my encouragement to you. Let's pick up 
in verse 3. He says this, the writer says this, Now he is seated, Jesus, now Jesus is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility. Oh, oh, back up, my bad. Go back to the verse before that, I missed one. Sorry about that. It says this, Because of the joy awaiting him, because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he endured the cross. Capture this with me. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What kind of joy was awaiting Jesus that he was ready to plow through the cross? And can it remind us that a Roman crucifixion was one of the worst forms of torture known to mankind? Jesus knew what was, was, was awaiting him, but he plowed through it. He was ready to push through all of that pain and all, all of that agony because of what was on the other side of the cross. So what was it? It was so that he could finish the race for you. You know what that means? It means you don't even have to run. Now, some of you are maybe taking this metaphor too long. You're like, well, hold up, Aaron. The metaphor actually says, or the verse actually says, to run the race is just a metaphor. Because Jesus ran the race ahead of us. Jesus finished the race on our behalf, meaning we don't have to perform for God. We don't ever have to wonder, have I done enough? Am I going to get into heaven because I've done enough for God? What about all those mistakes? What about all those times that I've fallen on my face? Jesus said, listen, I've run the race. And I finished it for you. So you don't have to perform. It's not about placement. It's not about position. It's just about keeping your eyes on me. By putting your faith in me and understanding that I've finished the race before you so we don't have to run. Friends, you can walk. Better yet, you can rest. You can rest. Some of you, maybe more than anything else this Christmas season, one of the best ways that you can get from weariness back to wonderful, you just got to catch your breath. You got to rest. You got to stop trying to perform. And you just got to let the, the goodness and grace of God allow you to have intentional rest in Him. You know why we can rest? Because God never does. Some of you need to hear that more than anything else. The writer picks up, says this, Now... He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Capture this. This is where God was teaching me this week. I hope he teaches you. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then, big transitional word. Everybody on the count of three say then. One, two, three. Then, you won't become weary and give up. Think of all the hostility that he endured. Think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people, even sending him to the worst form of torture that we know, the Roman crucifixion. Think about all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. What is it? This is where God just started teaching me. What is it about going back and remembering what Jesus had to go through that actually pulls us out of weariness? What is it about revisiting what happened on the cross that takes us from weariness to wonderful? Here's the best way that I can capture it, and it's in my one thing today. We can find joy in our weariness because we know there's nothing but joy that awaits us. Friends, the cross, 
The cross becomes our biggest weapon. Don't just allow this to be another Sunday school lesson. Listen to me. The cross becomes your best weapon against weariness. The cross is our best weapon against weariness. Now, some of us are thinking, man, that sounds good, but what about right now? That is for right now. There is a day coming where it's going to get even better, where weariness, along with many other things, will be taken from us. Can I remind you of it this morning? It's Revelation 21. In verse 4, Jesus says, or it says this about Jesus, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. I think I could add the word weariness there. All these things will be gone forever. We can find joy in our weariness because we know there's nothing but joy that awaits us. Here's what I want to do. I want to close a little bit differently today. And what I'm going to have you do in just a moment is I'm going to have you... just shut your eyes, not yet, in just a moment. And I want to read to you something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Because I know that there are some of you in here that have been living in a season of weariness. It's not even just about the Christmas season for you, it's just been your life. You've been in this perpetual state of weariness, and it, all this may sound good. And my hope is that you really do come back to the cross with new eyes and with a new mind. So that, you're, so that the cross can become your best weapon against weariness. But for those of you that are just in the trenches right now, I want you to hear from Jesus, not me. I want you to hear from Jesus. So do me a favor, close your eyes right now, and I want you to go to wherever you need to go to. Think about the the biggest form of weariness in your life right now. Is Is it a broken relationship? Is it your job's not working out the way that you were hoping? Somebody didn't come through for you. Somebody deceived you. Man, that depression that you think you're just gonna continue to hopefully get on top of, it just keeps coming back. Whatever it is for you, hold on to it. Now listen. Jesus said, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I want you to come to me. All of you. Every single one of you who are weary and you're carrying these heavy burdens. Because I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to show you how to take a real rest. I want you to walk with me and work with me, and I want you to watch how I do it. And then you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. And if you'll do this, you're going to find rest for your souls. Hey, why don't you run with me, and you're going to learn how to live lightly and freely. Go ahead and open your eyes. Friends, we can rejoice in our weariness because of this statement right here. Jesus is greater than whatever makes you weary. You might know that. I just need you to live it. Whatever it is, Jesus is greater than whatever is making you weary this morning. So as we approach this Advent season and we're already in it, I want you to move from weary to wonderful. And I want you to use the cross as your best weapon against the weariness in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, some of us have been running the wrong race. Some of us have fallen on our face. Man, we've just ultimately gotten lost We started doing our own thing. We started running a race, this rat race, where we're trying to please others, trying to keep up with what everybody else was doing around us instead of keeping our eyes fixed on you. 
And because of that, many of us even are living in that shame right now, living in guilt that we know we've done things wrong, that we haven't done what you've called us to do. And Father, you make it clear in your word that we're not to carry those with us. We're not to carry that burden with us. You took that burden on your shoulders and you died with it on the cross. Father, help this not to be another Sunday school lesson, but help us to truly recapture the cross once again in our lives so that it becomes our best weapon against weariness. And Lord, more than anything, and I want this so bad. I want this so bad for our people. Everyone in this room, God, would you take them from weariness back to wonderful because it truly is the most wonderful time of year. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.